Welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, I think we should just get this one out of the way. You mean dive right in? Yeah. You mean... The Lust Experience. Lust. Oh, yeah. You do mean The Lust Experience. I was excited. For that sound? So... For lust in general. <laughs> okay. So, oh, but we're, wait, you're talking about something different. Lust experience. Okay. All right. Way to make this awkward. <laughs> it's a gift. So, uh, right after we recorded last podcast, Mike, stuff happened. Yeah. And exciting stuff happened. And if I say it's exciting stuff, you know that a lot of people probably hate it. You were excited. I was super excited. <laughs> This happened to do with someone that you started to care about. Yeah, Joyce. Joyce, who came to my home. Joyce, who refused to accept any water or beverages from me. Joyce, who brought a few friends over. Joyce, who actually seemed to give a damn about me. Um, yeah, she got a visit from Mason. And Michelle. And Michelle. From the OSDM. Yeah, the whole OSDM thing. There was a periscope that went out and... Um, you know, if you go to the lust experience forums, you can, you can read much more detailed information than we're going to give here. But, you know, it was a, it was a couple of different periscopes. Um, Joyce, we thought was going to go live, uh, and actually, wait, I think this was Facebook live. I actually, you're right. Yeah, it was Facebook live. It wasn't periscopes. Uh, my mistake. Um, we thought she was going to answer some questions that the community had about the OSDM, her involvement, um, powers that be, and instead, she got interrupted by a visit from Mason, and um, uh, Michelle was carrying a baseball bat. And Mason was wearing argyle and a half-skull mask. So already, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, your fondness goes to that. Of course it does. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. So the visit basically went down where the Facebook Live video, they seemed to be intimidating Joyce. She didn't answer any questions, which is kind of standard for the lust experience. Nobody answers any questions ever. Um, so, <laughs> well, at the end of that video, Mason asked for someone from the community. Oh, that's true. That's to, true. Um, right. Like who can be at this street corner in a half hour or an hour or something. And Kristen was able to go. And then the next Facebook live video was of her getting in a car and then driving. Yeah, and then they led her to an apartment. Yeah. And it happened to be the same apartment that we saw Michelle Mason and Joyce at earlier. Except now Joyce was not looking as well as she had in the previous Facebook live. Yeah. She was bloody and beaten and hanging on to her life by a thread. It looked like she had been hit multiple times in the head with a baseball bat. It was an extremely disturbing image. Disturbing or amazing? It was disturbing. It was awesome. <laughs> You're so weird. No way. Like that, like, and, and I mean, the fact that the baseball bat was all bloody as well. And I know, but it's just like, I mean, this is literally, you know, I, I it, it's, you know, I, it just, I was, you know, it's like, I haven't had a lot of connection and it just to see that happen to the one character that I had finally connected with. Right. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I, it just, it was disturbing for me. Definitely. Cause, um, yeah, you know, Joyce had left me with kind of a cliffhanger 
after she visited my apartment um, that she was going to get back in touch with me and something was going to happen and she's going to have a task for me. So, you know, and I wasn't thinking about that at the time, but that's part of the fallout. From oh, my God. I just thought of something right now. What? What did Otis say to you? He said that the, when the darkness comes, it brings a whole heap of trouble with it. No, but the pain brings the darkness, right? Right. So seeing Joyce like this is painful for you. Yeah, it was. Now there's going to be, maybe there's going to be a whole crap load of darkness coming for you. At this point, I could use it. <laughs> really. <laughs> Things have been getting darker moment by moment in my life. So yeah, bring the darkness. I'm, wait, didn't you say that the last podcast? Okay, I'm finally with you. I'm finally <laughs> with you, Mike. Bring the darkness. <laughs> um, that ended. And Kristen was there. This was the apartment she was in. And she witnessed Joyce struggling for her life. Uh, she witnessed the callous behavior of Michelle and Mason. And that was the end of the Facebook Live. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, she saw that up close and personal. And, yeah. You know, I can only imagine what that was like. I'm sure it was disturbing. I have a number for a therapist if you need it. <laughs> so then the Mason hate started. I mean, there was already Mason hate. But oh, yeah. There was... I mean, so much more because people like Joyce and people didn't like the fact that she got beat with a baseball bat, even though we didn't know at the time Mason right. for sure did it because we saw Michelle holding it in, in the beginning and then Mason was holding it at the end and, you know, whatever. But yeah, a whole slew of hate happened. Well, here's the thing. I actually was not on board for the Mason hate beforehand. Mm -hmm. I just was on board for the Mason mistrust. Right. Because that was the thing that he was just acting cagey. So the Mason hate, I sort of understand. But even then, like I, I was on board with you. I think I think you're in the camp of we don't know who really did this and we don't know what happened. Right. So I wasn't willing to just condemn Mason. I was willing to condemn someone. I mean, someone needs to be held responsible for what happened. But yeah, the Mason hate I thought came too fast, if that makes any sense. <laughs> came too fast <laughs> would you get <laughs> lust so if, if you're insinuating mason comes too fast that's on you so <laughs> he does not come too fast on me uh, <laughs> you're the one who brought it up anyways <laughs> yeah but you're the one who got it up we can just keep going wow it, it's, it's yeah. early i can never win these because you're so much better at this kind of thing than i am that's what she said uh, um okay we'll stop where were we <laughs> We're talking about the Mason hate. Okay, continue. Um, did, did you hate Mason? No, I because I've always been a fan of villains, mm -hmm. and especially one like this. Like a lot of people made references and comparisons to him being like the Joker. Yeah, you've seen my house. Oh yeah, you've seen all the Joker stuff. You're I You're a fan of the Joker, so to bring a little anarchy and chaos into this world, I so happy and i welcome it because for so long it's just kind of been like you know we've had just kind of tidbits of weird cult stuff and, and corporate intrigue and, and occult stuff love um, triangles and uh, yeah. yeah and the seminar so to finally bring it back to like a dark and you know murderous place like that's awesome to me story-wise i i see your point i i just really wish it had happened to another character <laughs> yeah of course 
life sucks sometimes. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that recently. Um, okay, so uh, following up on that. Well, because of that and because of all the Mason hate, I sent him an email. Mm-hmm. And because he was, he reached out to me early on. I was one of the, the people that got the, hey, I'm Mason from Briarburg. I want to talk about ethics. Which I didn't get until after Joyce spoke to me, mm -hmm. but I got it much later. Right. And so we had a little dialogue going, um, a little bit of a history. So I didn't feel weird emailing him. Mm -hmm. So I emailed him basically saying, (laughs) I like your style. Um, You know, I'm a fan of baseball bats as well. Um, A lot of people seem to not trust you and not like you. I'm offering... You know, I've offered help. I've been one of the only people that have given you the benefit of the doubt. You like pop music like Katy Perry and, you know, uh, Taylor Swift. I like Mm K-pop. You know, I think we have a lot in common. We should talk. And after I sent that email, he had called me. Yes. And (laughs) it was like a five-minute conversation about K-pop. About K-pop. About (laughs) K-pop. And it was incredible. Okay, for listeners of the podcast, Mike has his goofy grin on right now. <laughs> Hell yeah, I do. Because here's the thing. Like, he knew his stuff. Yeah, you like, told me that. You, you told me about this after it happened. And that's the thing that surprised me. Right. When you said that he actually knew K-pop, like, that's pretty damn cool. Because I brought up, um, I forget how it got brought up, but I brought up Brown Eye Girls Abracadabra. And, yeah. And of course, I brought you into it. I was like, yeah, my friend Russell... You know, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like he's like, that's the song that got him into it. And like, he's in love with guy and, and like, oh. all, like all, I'm sorry. Wait, <laughs> what's that out loud? Lust. <laughs> no, seriously, folks, if you have not seen brown eyed girls, abracadabra music video, and it's, and look up the story video, the long form, not the performance video, the story video. Uh, uh, it's one of the sexiest things you'll ever watch. And it got awkward. I'm again. sorry. Wait, <laughs> I'm sorry, what were you saying? Anyways. <laughs> um, Am I blushing? <laughs> wow. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it's I'm your... sorry, you, Mason, K-pop, go, please. Yeah. No, well, we'll just keep this a silence and awkward and you laughing. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Stop. <laughs> okay, anyways. But yeah, like he actually, you know, and he talked about subunits, like he was like, oh, orange caramel. Oh, but what about after school and, you know, stuff like that. You didn't tell me that he got that detail. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. God, you were, uh, I'm sure you were just giddy with delight. Oh my God. Yeah. Because then he started asking me about like some of my favorite groups and, and I just went, went off and he's like, well, what about, what are your favorite songs? And it's like, well, who's your favorite girls generation member? And he started naming names. What? Yeah. And I was like, no, mine's Sonny. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> but it was just like, he was like, what about Yuri? You're so young. And, you know, and it's like, oh my God, like, you know, names. That's hysterical. Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. So not only does it seem Mason is a fan of American pop music, he's a fan of K-pop as well. Oh. And he's all right in my book, despite baseball bats despite baseball bats okay uh, a couple days after that a few people got an email from jamie from the briarburg foundation the briarburg foundation is the same organization that mason is a part of and he's when he emailed us originally he said he was mason from the briarburg foundation so jamie is a board member from the foundation 
Mm -hmm. And she reached out to a few of us and each email was a little bit different. Um, For example, mine was, we heard about some things that happened in tension and ascension. We want to talk to you about it. Um, Each email was a little bit specific for what they did. I think Lauren, they they mentioned something about BOS and Uh that organization. But in the email, Jamie said that she would be in town um, because it was a she. We weren't sure. It's one of those unisex names. Um, If we, since she would be in town that weekend, if we would be able to meet with her and she mentioned Thursday at eight Uh o'clock is a time that would work for her. I emailed back saying, yeah, that was fine. And each person that got an email, we, we realized like, oh, wait a minute. They're all saying it. Thursday at eight, each email. So at that point it's like, okay, this is going to be a a, a group thing. And we all got nerdy and started theorizing about everything. And then finally Thursday came and we all met up a little bit beforehand at the pig and whistle. And because we were given an area to be in and that an address would come at a certain time. And when we got the address. We realized it was a little bit down the road. So we all started walking because it was close enough to walk. Oh, um, cool. Except for Buzz because he's a, he's a special flower who is like, I ain't walking. I'm taking an Uber. It's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Buzz. Um, and we got the address and we went to the address and we go inside and we are greeted by, I guess you could call him a security guard. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just a guy in a suit staring each one of us down, uh, looking us up and down, making sure we're not doing anything we're not supposed to. Um, We're led to the main room and we finally meet Jamie. She comes down the stairs and she goes to um, almost all of us and and calls us by name, even Mm -hmm. though she called me Buzz. And I'm like, no, I'm Mike. And she's like, okay, hi, Mike. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then she went to like all the different people. And she told us uh, to gather around the table. And by the way, describe Jamie. What is she like? Um, she's looks like a like a businesswoman, uh, blonde hair, uh, kind of tall. Um, you know, she was wearing a skirt and a button-up shirt, very professional looking. Mm. Office um, wear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for, I guess for most people. I was gonna uh, say this was probably a business meeting to her. Yeah, I don't. I've never been in an environment where people dress like that at oh, work. Okay, so. <laughs> I don't dress like that, but I get called into meetings where people dress like that. Right. (laughs) We're seen as the creative types. Oh, boy. (laughs) So after the introductions, there was a pounding at the door. Not a knock, a pounding. And everyone kind of looked at each other and was like, oh, my God, what's, what's about to happen? Who's here? Who's here? And in walks someone that you and I know pretty well. Mm hmm. Uh, some call him Kiro, some call him 111 Error, <laughs> some call him Morgan. Well, most people call him Morgan. Morgan showed up. And I wasn't surprised because earlier that day we received a waiver. But the waiver's email was for the Midnight Commission. Right, which was Morgan mainly. Yeah, and so when I wasn't sure if that was uh, an out-of-game just kind of screw up like ooh, we're or like like we're using the same account we don't want to make another one because i don't know if you have to pay for that service or anything right. so you know especially if investors are involved they want to cut corners um so i brought that up 
And there's all these theories about everything. Like is is BOS and Briarburg together and you know, all that stuff. So right. when Morgan showed up, I kind of had this smirk, like when I was looking at him, I was like, I knew it. I knew you were gonna be here. <laughs> um, but it was still kind of like, whoa, what the hell is he doing here? So that opened up a whole bunch of more questions. Um, Morgan and Mason definitely knew each other. Uh, Mason was Jack who helped out at the Midnight Commission event, which I didn't go to. Yeah, neither and, did I. And uh, But the way they acted towards one another, it was almost like... It was definitely Morgan seemed to hate him, but was forced to be f- around him and forced to work with him. It was very like... Like Morgan was like swearing at him and throwing pills at him and like kind of like taunting him, like poking the badger. Like and competitive? N- Combative? No, like it was um more like do something. Touch me, hit me, so I can do something back to you. Oh. Um but he couldn't do anything. It, it, yeah, it just seemed like they had they were forced to be coexisting so they just hung out while all this was going down yeah so morgan was swearing at him and trying to pick a fight and mason was just smirking and playing with his rubik's cube okay which again which is why i love mason this dude is like talking a whole bunch of crap towards him and he's just like i don't care what you have to say i'm just doing my thing okay um so yeah so that was weird and then after that jamie asked us to come to the table and the security guy goes and grabs a, a, a big cardboard box. And she asks us to reach inside and grab, grab a pear. And each of us grab, grabs a fruit inside. Most of us grab an apple. And I think it was Melissa actually mm-hmm. grabbed a pear. And she told a story about truth and how to Melissa... The statement she said it, it, that it's a box full of pears is true because she did grab a pear, even though we all grabbed apples. And to us, it wasn't true. So she made a, a story about how people can see truths differently and t- they can believe truths, even though it may not look like truths to other people. Also, and that you can convince yourself that something is true based on one fact rather than the whole picture. Right. Which I think correlates completely to what was going on with Mason at the time. Mm-hmm. Except Buzz and I, of course, we were jerk. Well, not jerks, but you know, you know how specific I can get. It's like because she's like, see, to her, the truth is, it is a box of pears, and it's like, well, no, it was only one pear. That's not truth. <laughs> but it, but the way it was worded, yes. it was like to to the rest of us is like, no, that's not that's not true. You know, because it was one pair. Right. Not pairs, but Mm -hmm. whatever. Okay. Stickler. What can I say? (laughs) Um, After that, she had us go upstairs. And when we went upstairs, that was when, in my mind, I said, oh, fuck. Because we go upstairs. I see Stephanie. I see Miles. uh, Mary Lynn. uh, There was another processing lady. They were all just there, standing there. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? So these are all characters that we encountered at Ascension. They're not characters, Russell. (laughs) These are all people who we met at Ascension. Yes. At the end of the Tension Experience. Yeah. And it was really 
it was really weird because Larry was there and obviously he and Stephanie are very close because of dark arts. Yeah. They've worked um, together on a couple of different projects. Yeah. So we knew like, it's like, Oh, this is weird. But seeing Stephanie there like really hit me as well. Um, because of dark arts, like her and I have gotten like closer and stuff. And she's an amazing person. Like we become friends because of that. And when I looked at her, she did this weird, like, you know, when you look at someone and you say like, without saying words, you say like, I'm sorry. And it's like, you wrinkle your like forehead. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like one of these, like, right. I'm giving Russell a weird look right now. Um, but like she did that when she, when we like made eye contact and it was just like, Oh, what are we getting ourselves into? Wow. Okay. Um, and then once we were all upstairs, um, Miles started talking and he said, Mike Fontaine and Melissa Kramer, come with me. So he took us outside and then each other person grabbed a couple people from our group. And what Miles told us was, it was a story about how he became involved in Ascension mm-hmm. and how he needed money. And even though theater didn't really pay well, he was, he just needed more opportunities because he wasn't getting any acting gigs in commercials or movies or TV or anything. And when he went to the audition, they didn't give him sides. They, yeah, they didn't give yeah. him sides. Which um, for those who don't know, sides are usually a couple pages out of a script that an actor reads to audition for a part. Mm-hmm. And, and he was saying how, after he did the audition, this man came out to him with this, you know, shit eating grin and, um, a stack of papers and was like, you start tomorrow. And miles said that it just, the whole environment felt oppressive. Hmm. And the more he, cause when they asked him to talk, they ta- asked him to talk about some of the, like the negative things in his life. And he said, the more negative he got, the more brighter the room seemed to get. Wow. Which, yeah, it's, it's, it was, um, and then at the end, the guy told him, it's like, you got the part, like you start tomorrow. And he's like, and Miles told him, oh, no, thank you. And I guess the guy looked at him again. He's like, no, you start tomorrow and gave him a stack of papers. And when Miles looked at the papers, it was all information about him, his family, everything he's ever done. Um, just like basically a bunch of surveillance and information nobody should have except Miles and or his family. Right. Um, and the man told him, like, look, this is your copy. We have our copy and we'll keep it safe until it can't be held safe anymore. Wow. So it was almost it was basically a blackmail mm-hmm. um, for Miles to get into Ascension. And as as he was telling this story he started, it looked like he was about to have a panic attack and it was getting really anxious. Um, he, he grabbed his, his, um, like messenger bag, like, Mm -hmm. and started just holding it and like, just squeezing it. Like, like I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. Um, and then as he was leaving, he looked at Melissa and I, he's like, just kill me and walked away. Wow. And like, Melissa and I just looked at each other like, what the hell just happened? And, Mm -hmm. And each group got um, a story of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and those are those are all on the forums and it's it's pretty incredible and and thank you lauren for for typing all of that out afterwards we we all went to a bar to, to decompress and she typed it out um it probably took like an hour like, i'm sure to, to, to like hear all of our stories and do that so thank you so much um and yeah it, it's it was just... interesting because I, I i encountered miles um after Ascension, there was a time when, we, you know, Mike and I, we got called back, you know, several of us got called back to do an interview about participating in the Tension Experience. And I met Miles that day was the day that I actually finally got a chance to really speak to him. Because mm-hmm. inside Ascension, I only interacted with him for a few moments. Same with me. And this my second time through, he recognized me, but I, I really didn't have an interaction with him because I repeated basically the same path. So I met him briefly and then moved forward. And then at the end of my second time through Ascension, I was sort of off to the side and I, I didn't even want to be in my, the picture my second time through Ascension. So I was trying to avoid everything and avoid the crowd. And like, I didn't want to be in the picture because they were taking group pictures at that point. And he came and he got me and he insisted, he said, no, Russell, you need to be. And it's funny because if you look at the picture of my second time through Ascension, I'm all the way on one side because literally miles was pulling me into the corner of the picture. Right. You know? And so he, it it just like my impression of him is someone who is very caring and inclusive. Right. Which is why it was so tough to hear. I was going to say to be, hear him that distressed is disturbing. Yeah. Because miles was one of, he's one of the first people, if not the first person you meet like outside of handlers Yeah, and within Ascension, I mean, and he was always so caring and so, oh, yeah. you know, just there to do his job and, you know, to, and to hear this, it was. It he was keeps like, a messy office though. <laughs> but it's like. <laughs> but who, he knew where everything was, which is kind of my, my style of filing as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> But it's like, who was the man in the suit? Like, was that OSDM? Is he part of Briarburg? Like, who was that guy? Is he an investor? Like, that's the thing. We don't know. No, I don't think he'd be an investor if he was waiting out there to greet you. Well, I mean, they could send anyone they want to talk to him. That's true. One thing that was mentioned to Larry from Stephanie, it's, and it's very important about Briarburg, is she told them, she told him they get people out of cults. So that started a whole theory about are, is Briarburg a deep programming organization or is Briarburg another cult just taking people back in under the guise of we're trying to get you out, but really they're getting you back in. So I think that was a really important reveal as well. I mean, every story was important, you know, right. once you put them all together, but just who is Briarburg is a huge question at this point too. Which the question that came up for me is if that's what they do. And, and even though Joyce is not Briarburg necessarily, even though supposedly they they seem to connect to the OSDM like it seems interesting that they were concerned about me being disconnected if that's their agenda over at Briarburg. Right. Like there's just this weird thing about like okay, if if someone isn't engaged, they don't serve our purpose and if they are engaged, we have a purpose. So like so like I just I just flashed back to some of the conversation that Joyce and I had here in here in my But own. Joyce is OSDM. Yeah, I know that. But the fact that so they want your emotional data. I think that's it. But I was I was I was all Anik last year. So I did the cult thing. I was I 
You're saying that like in past tense. I don't understand. I, I'm, yeah, well, I'm still team Anik, really. <laughs> <laughs> Glory be. Glory be. <laughs> so I just want to talk about something kind of like in general, like all throughout tension and all throughout lust so far, it, it's been mainly an LA centric thing. Right. You know, in tension, they did do some things um, for people that were out of town, like, like Mumu got the dead drop in Kansas city for, with the letter. Um, there was that, um, there was a, a girl in Atlanta where like, someone came up with like the sand, the right. sandbag and, you know, so things have happened to other people mm-hmm. and people have gotten phone calls around the world. Yeah. But what happened like last week kind of blew my mind. It was pretty intense sounding. Um, definitely. So Megan, who's Corey Phila on the forums, which she was through, she was there throughout tension as well. Um, she lives in Minnesota and at first, like Mason started calling her, like she got a call from Mason one night and then the next 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 night. So I think it was something like 10 days in a row or something. Right. Mason would call her and I believe he said something like, Oh, I'll see you soon, which in this universe, it doesn't really, it doesn't really click because you're like, yeah, right. I'm in Minnesota, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, Mason did a Facebook live video that, that called out Megan and said, you have five minutes to get home. And when he turned the camera, it showed Megan's house, right? He was in Minnesota yeah. waiting for her the night before he had met with Chelsea and showed Chelsea Joyce's dead body in the trunk of his car. Right. Which, I mean, like, this is everything that I wanted in tension, <laughs> you know? Like, because, like, how many times last year were we like, I want it darker, I want murder, I want this, I want that. And we see a baseball bat beaten woman, and then we see someone gets to see that woman in the trunk of a car that actually smells bad. Yeah, that broke my heart when I read that. It did. Yeah. And then we have that person the next night being in Minnesota. Yeah, pretty intense. Like, dude, this is real now. Like, this, it's not a game anymore. You have to give them credit for the ambition of of what they're trying to do and and how they're trying to incorporate everyone's personal stuff. It's like you have to give them credit for like oh the, yeah, this is like how far will this go? How far will this reach? It's 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 utterly fascinating. The ante is so upped now, like it's ridiculous. So Mason is at Megan's house, and we find out that Megan goes home and meets with him, and then we don't hear from Megan. Mm-hmm. And so everyone is like, oh my God, is she okay? And um, there's, a, there's a couple people she, re- she reached out to, well, supposedly reached out to. Well, we, we just don't know. Like <laughs> phone calls came to certain people from her number. Um, I think she called Michelle and said, don't ever call me again. Um, right. I think she called Brian and um, I don't remember if, if he got a message or anything or if it was just a call and just background noise. Well, I got, um, I sent her a message as it started to unfold because I, I knew it would be intense for her after the series of phone calls and everything else. So I just sent a message and said, like, hey, you're probably busy right now, <laughs> but just want to let you know, you know, thinking about you. And she never responded to me. 
until much, much later. Right. Um, but then I got a call from her number. Right. And it was it and it was such bad timing because I was on a conference call at work. Oh my gosh. See this but, is this, yeah. <laughs> but because of because it was from her and because what happened the night before with Mason showing up was like, right. I need to take this. Like, so yeah. I, I hung up on the conference call and took her call. <laughs> like, whatever. It's my last two weeks of work anyway. <laughs> what are they going to do? I called back afterwards. It's fine. Um, it wasn't important. But uh, I got a call and it sounded like, um, like you would, like if you were in a car, you know, you, like when you pick up a phone and someone's in a car, you hear like the, oh, you hear the, yeah, like that. And I heard a little kid talking and it was, it was hard to hear because you know how when little kids talk, it's like, you know, you can't always understand them because it's like, right. and then I went to thinking of it. There was something I so it was because that was actually the next question I was going to ask you is how young did you think this kid was? Was it forming complete sentences? Was it it? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a little glimpse of my relationship with children. <laughs> I am not a father. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it was very like constant. Uh, it wasn't a, it, they were complete sentences as there was complete ideas, I think. Oh, okay. So it was, it was like one of those, uh, the, one of the talkative phases yeah. that they go through. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but one thing I did understand was, and the car smelled funny. Wow. So it was Mason's kid talking about their dead here. Mother. Well, ha- his, being in the car and smelling the dead body of jo- Joyce in the trunk. Yeah. yeah, that's a weird thing to put together. Yeah, and like that messed with me, man. Like, well, it's disturbing. Yeah, like as soon as you bring little kids, and you know, little kids are creepy anyway. <laughs> but like, no, I mean, you know, when it comes to like <laughs> okay. m- horror movies and stuff, and but when you hear a little kid talking about like their dead mother and not even realizing they're talking about their dead mother. Right. Like that. Oh man, that messes with you. Yeah. Because you just mentioned the reveal that. Yeah. Joyce's Joyce and Mason did a little bit of lusting. Yeah. And apparently this may be a child from Joyce and Mason is the indication that we've been given so far. Yeah. So if you back up, that means Mason apparently killed the mother of his own child. Right. Why? What's the motivation? Exactly. So speaking of why, I had made a thread about that. You know, not just trying to ask that question. I probably worded it poorly because people think I'm like pro rapists and stuff now, like for whatever reason. It's like, come on, guys. I'm sorry. Look, that was a completely ridiculous reaction to your post. Uh, Sorry if I'm stepping on any toes. There's there actually there's a couple of things on the forums recently one is like like you you just described a situation where you were on a work call you made a choice you know it's like when mason called me he called me in the middle of an afternoon of a business day as i was walking into a business meeting and i might have gotten flack online about being slow to post like deal with it people you know, and if you're upset with Megan that she didn't get to the forums fast enough, 
screw you deal with it like people have lives people are going to take their time it may take time to process for me personally mike i if i have an interaction i usually write it up and then proofread it first and then do a quick editing job it's what i do for a living okay right so it takes me a little while to get something up to the forum <laughs> it takes you a while to get something up <laughs> stop it <laughs> jeez <laughs> so so that, and then when I when I heard people take, when I read people taking something that you meant obviously out of context, I was like, oh, come on. But we, we skipped something because yeah. the whole reason for that post was something, was based on something that happened the night before that involved you <laughs> and, and Melissa. So yes, and Melissa. Actually, it was primarily Melissa. So uh, Melissa had called out a couple of people. Um, yeah, uh, pardon me, I, I worded that poorly. Uh, sent a message to a few people and said, "Hey, look, I've got some time and I've got some thoughts. And do you want to get together and talk? And let's let's do something because I'm worried. You know, I have opinions on Joyce. I have a, opinions on Mason's behavior. I have opinions on like what is the OSDM and all of these questions. And so." It just so happened that no one was able to quite meet her. And I was, oddly enough, at 10 o'clock at night, finishing up a business thing. So I like responded late to her message and said, hey, if you're still in the area, I can meet you. So we met. And she very cleverly uh, made wanted posters for Michelle and Mason based on their recent behavior. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've looked at that closely of Michelle's wanted poster that Melissa created. Did you notice that one of her one one of her offenses was no what book ruiner? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, I love you. <laughs> that was, it refers to her destroying the book of Anak, which Anak, which uh, Mike and I are are drawn to the book of Anak. Um, the uh, so she had made these wonder posters, and so on uh, kind of spur of the moment, we she had had the idea of possibly doing you know posting them in the North Hollywood area perhaps outside the apartment of a current leader of the BOS <laughs> faction. Just saying that might happen, or maybe it did happen. So, uh, love you, Morgan. So she posted them, and we did a little Periscope, and, and it was, oddly enough, her phone was dying. So I did the Periscope on my phone. But believe me, people, it was primarily Melissa's doing that that, that all went down and that happened. She gives, she deserves credit for those wanted posters. She really deserves credit for those. Um, but I just, I, I stuck my head in at the beginning of the Periscope and just said, it's like, there's all these questions about, you know, how can you trust Mason? I still trust Mason, even though he might have killed somebody. I don't trust Michelle, but I can trust Mason. I can trust Michelle, or I can trust Mason, but not Michelle because of her past and all of this. And so I just said, look, and the reason I went on my rant, you know, 180 seconds ago, is this. is like with all of the sniping that's going on on Slack and in the forums about you're not fast enough, you're not posting the way I want you to post. Like, guys... If we're going to survive this story at all, we're going to have to rely on each other at some point. Maybe not the whole community. Maybe we just have to rely on one friend or two friends. But you're going to need somebody. So if this whole attitude of burn everything down, including the relationships you have in the community, which some people take seem to be taking that stand, screw everyone, like that's not going to pay off well for some people, I think. And that was why I stuck my head in the beginning of the Periscope and like I stand with my friends. Yeah. 
you know, and I wrote on the forums, you know, about that. It was like, you're like, hey, it's like, we got each other. That's about it. Because obviously we can't trust anyone else. Or each other. I trust you for the most part. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it, are you apologizing in advance for something? Yeah, <laughs> probably. God damn Something will happen. <laughs> So, but anyway, that was, that was like, and, and, and trust me that, and then after that, you know, Michelle, a uh, part, oh, wow, Michelle, I have Michelle on the brain. So, um, Melissa made a point about, you know, all the acronyms that are, you know, OSDM, whatever Joyce said that her division was the Briarburg foundation. It's like, come on people. It's like, let's get real. But Briarburg doesn't use. No, they, there's no acronym for Briarburg. <laughs> So, <laughs> so that means they're legit. So, but she, Melissa, I just think wanted to make the point of this is getting so ridiculous with literally lives being taken, and are there ramifications for the OSDM, and are there ramifications for the powers that be there? And I think Melissa was just trying to make the point of there will be something. Melissa said in that Periscope uh, resonated with me, which made me make that thread that I, I just referenced. Mm -hmm. Um, and she said that nobody deserves to get a beating like that. And me being me said, well, I don't agree with that because there are people that deserve beatings like that, you know, and that's my personal opinion, you know, and I mentioned like things like rapists or, you know, child molesters, stuff like that. Like, yeah, actually you didn't say child molester and somebody called you out on that, which technically no it's a valid point it's a valid point so which you know they are in the right that i think you use the word pedophile yeah which is not a child molester it's a it's a very different thing yeah they're one in the same to me they're not one in the same i know that but they're one in the same like when you when i think pedophile i think child molester because that's how they're always portrayed in like movies and stuff ah okay now that all right now i understand where you're coming from okay that that's uh, no, because one is like a, a predilection or a, a... Yeah, just an attraction. Yeah, exactly, which they don't have to act upon. Right. So those are my examples, and I brought that up. And it wasn't to victim blame Joyce. It wasn't no. to do anything like that. It was to make a point that, in my mind, people deserve beatings. So my the whole point of that post was, why are we not asking questions? Like, what did Joyce do to do this? Like, Mm -hmm. is Mason a true psychopath and murderer where he just did it for the fun of it? Or did Joyce do something? Was Joyce the reason their daughter was stuck in OSDM for so long? Was, did Joyce, you know, we saw sex rituals before. Did Joyce have people diddle their daughter? You know, like stuff like that. Yeah, you deserve it. You deserve that beating. You know, if it was just a, I don't like her, then no, she didn't deserve it at all. But, you know, and then there was, you know, people were like, you know, I believe in the justice system and, you know, stuff like that, which is fine. Mm -hmm. You guys are all entitled to your opinions and I have mine, but there's no justice. There's just us. Well, here's the thing. You know, like there's, I grew up with like street justice. Right. You know, like being in like the punk and hardcore scene, it's like, that's what you do. You don't go to the cops. If someone hits your friend, you go and you beat them down. You know, it's, there's, that's my past. Like, that's what I know. That's what I grew up with. So, you know, and I said, like, if anyone messes with my friends, like they're going to get beaten, you know, like someone messes with my mom, someone messes with like, if someone messes with you, like, yeah, they're dead. Wow. So. Well, thank you for that. I think, um, (laughs) (laughs) but here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm team Joyce. Okay. It's like, you know, Joyce 
Joyce expressed concern and was trying to get me involved in a way that nobody else seemed to be able to do. So, and yet I, I agree with you. It's like, I think everything that you said, we need to ask these questions. What was Joyce, what was Joyce's agenda? What did she do? What has she done in the past? How, how good a mother was she? Was she present? Was she not present? All those questions need to be asked. Right. And they're very valid questions, even though I am, you know, I would be considered team Joyce. Right. Here's the thing. It's the same attitude of, I hate Mason now. How dare he? It's people are doing the same thing now. Some people are doing the same thing with Joyce. And it's the same attitude. It's this weird call, uh, pardon me, this weird rush to judgment that it's like, oh, I see this black and white. I know exactly what's going on. Right. And it's not black and white. So, and, and for you to say, hey guys, there's gray here and to catch the blowback you did, it goes back to what I was ranting about now, yeah. seven minutes ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's where we're at so, at this point. So As you let your justice flag fly. fly wait, <laughs> let your justice flag fly, dude. Okay. <laughs> Even if I disagree with you, I got your back on that one. Thanks. And I only mildly disagree with you, really. Um, so that's pretty much everything going on in Lustland right now. Um, there were tickets were supposed to go on sale for the mid season event, but they got pushed back. So keep an eye out. There's still a chance to get tickets. Um, and I guess the mid season event is going to be for one week in November. Yes. Which God, I hope the dates come out soon because, but can I just say how smart like that is? What do you mean? They're not. Okay. Oh, not during haunt season is starting. Tickets are going on sale before most haunts go on sale, and the event is going to be after haunt season. Right. Like, that's a genius. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, but my October, my, pardon me, my November is filling up really fast, and you know I'm traveling in November. Mm -hmm. So, I'm like, what dates? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I need dates. I'm buying plane tickets. (laughs) Soon. So, yeah, exactly. The the infamous soon. We'll see tickets soon. Um. Yeah. And for more information on The Lust Experience, you can find them on the web at thelustexperience.com, on Facebook, The Lust Experience, on Instagram, The Lust Experience, and on Twitter, Lust underscore experience. Okay, Mike? Yes? You know I work in the film business, right? I do. Okay, I work in animation, so this really doesn't affect me that much, but Hollywood theaters in general, movies, this has been a sucky year, apparently. Yeah. Like box office tickets are almost 20% down in sales. Like it's major stories, especially here in Los Angeles and Hollywood, where everything seems to be centered on the industry in some way. Uh, So there was a beacon of hope. There was this shining moment where everybody looked at one freaking movie to see if it could save the entire year. Episode eight? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not star wars related in any way oh, okay uh it the movie it got so much buzz so much hype we've touched on it in a couple of podcasts because we did the vr experience at one mm-hmm. of the horror conventions and the movie we the movie got so much promotion and oh the so marketing is press. incredible yeah the marketing push is unique Warner Brothers went above and beyond like the VR experience, which did major cities, I guess, around the country. Um, We're going to talk about a live experience we did. Like the marketing is everywhere for this thing. And when it opened, I don't know if it will save the year. I think that's too much pressure to put on one 
movie to like save the year for Hollywood. I think that's a ridiculous, ridiculous expectation for any film. But it's nice to see that when it opened, I think it opened with 123 million at the box office. As as we're recording this box office, Chris, we're, we're recording this on a weekend, so I'm sure the box office tally is rising as we speak. It's over 200 and I think 15 million right now. So they have a hit on their hands. The sequel is already in the works. So I find it kind of refreshing that box office, that, that Hollywood is looking at horror going, there's hope here. You know, and some people are criticizing the movie for being too mainstream, for being too slick, for being, I don't right. And it's not care. really horror. And... Yeah. Oh, that's another conversation. You're right. Like, it's not really horror. Well, in my opinion, it's horror. You know, it's... have you seen it? Yes, I have. So I enjoyed it. I I, I do have some, I, I do have a few issues with it, but they're more like tone. And I will say this, and I think this is poss- possibly why the film is having that conversation around about it's not a horror film because it's actually not directed like a traditional horror film. They don't set up shots like horror movies would they send it they set up shots as if it's a straight drama and the horror comes from the situation so you know i I gave this example to someone who's like rather than pennywise the clown creeping up on someone they will cut to something and pennywise will peek out from around it okay it's like that's the difference between building suspense in a horror movie and doing a jump scare so it's like, it's just, it's a different style and a different tone. And they do some wonderful moments where, you know, like things are moving in the back of the frame behind a character and they're not aware of it. It certainly has that, that moment. Um, but I, I think that's one of the reasons people are reacting like, what, this doesn't feel like a traditional horror film because it's not made like a traditional horror film, but it has horror elements. So in my opinion, yes, it's a freaking horror movie. <laughs> it's like, deal with it. Just because it doesn't feel like you would expect it to feel doesn't mean it's not a horror film. So I, I'm just really happy that that we have a huge horror box office hit. Because, you know, it's that whole thing of rising tides floats all boats. This can only serve other horror films well. But they all float down. Yes. <laughs> wow. Thank you for seeing that. I, I walked right into that and didn't even see it. Um, I just find it, I, I find hope in the fact that you know, Hollywood once again has an example of, look, you can do creepy stuff. You can do scary stuff that involves children because there's been, you know, <laughs> sorry. So after that lust sorry. conversation, it's like, <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, you look at like movies that have been lost to some degree, like trick or treat in the last few years, which didn't get the release it deserved and the attention it deserved from the studio partially because it deals with horrible things happening to children. So I think it, whether you like it or whether you don't, and I've heard a lot of people who actually deep core horror fans who didn't care for it that much. I think it's a good thing for horror in general. So that's my opinion. But you and I, because we have been doing horror stuff recently, we've sort of been inundated with it stuff. Yeah. So. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Some of it's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, we got some mail. Yeah, we did. Uh, the new box of Dread came 
And the first thing I noticed when I picked this up is, whoa, there's some weight to this. Yes. And <laughs> thanks to one object in particular. And when we op when I opened it up, it was like, oh, wow, there's some it stuff in here. Yeah, it's it's a box of dread of it stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything in it was it except for a pin. Yeah. Which which, by the way, one of the things that are really cool that they did is they actually gave you um sort of a, a mechanism, a little uh, like viewer that you could unfold and wrap around your phone and you could download the VR experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a Google Cardboard thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like Google Cardboard. And and I thought that was, again, it's Warner Brothers, like that VR experience got a lot of press among horror fan sites and, and fan, you know, just fan movie fan sites in general. The fact that Box of Dread is, they're getting it out there. So more and more people are going to be experiencing the id VR experience, which is just going to get more attention to VR, which is going to get more studios interested in it. Like, like again, rising tides float all boats. So I, uh, this, this is a really positive thing, in my opinion. I, I was really happy that they did that. You know, we, you and I had done it at a horror convention, but, you know, I'm going to give this to a friend who didn't have the chance to do it and say, here, download this, watch this on your phone. It's really fun. Well, what else was in there? Oh, I thought you were going to do that. <laughs> oh, no. We can take turns. <laughs> okay, this this was like, you hear me rustling in the background. Rustling? Oh, wow. So we have a see-through red blow-up red balloon sort of thing that says it on it, and it says you'll float too. Yeah. And then the heavy object was a Loser's Club pint glass. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, it's it has the it logo on it and uh yeah, it is very very cool. So I'm rustling through other stuff in the box too. And uh <laughs> an it whistle. Yep, for when you see clowns. Yes. You can blow it. And uh a little it pin, which my only my only complaint about this mic, this pin needs to be larger. It's always about size with you. Yes, it is. Absolutely. It needs to be larger. Oh, boy. <laughs> Take that as you will. And we also have a uh, Box of Dread Scream, Stephen King Rules Everything Around Me pin. Scream, get the money, dollar, dollar, bill. Yeah. So Scream with a K for Stephen King. Well, you know that. Do you know that reference? It's no. a Wu-Tang reference for Cream. No, I didn't. Cash actually. rules everything around me. Uh... And not, not Andrew Cash like cash money wow but oh my god we could do a cream with a k and have it be cash rules everything around me so andrew cash does rule everything hi andrew <laughs> does andrew listen to the podcast i, I don't, don't know. know probably not let's <laughs> let's talk a bunch of crap about him and see if he says anything to us <laughs> so um so yeah so the box of dread was completely it oriented or stephen king oriented which was really really cool and the pint glasses like you know i have a jason and a mm -hmm. scream glass and like i i'm adding slowly slowly but surely to my pint glass collection yeah so it was a really good one this this month i oh, really yeah, liked absolutely. it absolutely for more information on the box of dread you can go to boxofdread.com on facebook box of dread and instagram and twitter box of dread now russell you mentioned something when you're talking about horror movies and it uh, about a live experience right warner brothers as i mentioned was really really pushing the movie it and one of the things they did here in hollywood california is they created a walkthrough immersive experience apparently they do they don't want people calling it a traditional haunt in any way uh, and what they did is they built the Nebolt house from the film 
on a corner in the middle of Hollywood and you could go and walk through it. And you met Georgie down on the doorsteps and you, we were able to take a picture with Georgie in his red balloon, <laughs> which was awesome. Which again is super smart marketing because oh, hell yeah. with like the selfie culture now and like hashtagging and everything, yeah, social like, media tagging. everybody was doing that. So yeah. to give people time to do that, such a smart thing. Yeah. And literally, and I ended up going through this experience twice, Mike, and both times the hosts literally just, they were so like, Hey, uh, we have eight to 10 minutes for you guys to just take pictures and selfies. Yeah. You know, and they were, they timed us cause they were, you know, timing how many people go through the house and how fast they went through. Um, and that you're right. It was just smart marketing. Warner brothers really did, did themselves and to create a live event that you could walk through. And what this was, was it was the Niebold house from the film and it featured actual props from the movie and mike when i went and saw the movie i had to laugh because it was like wait a minute i know that <laughs> clown <laughs> because some of the there's a there's a um a, a room in the live experience and where they had numerous clowns like uh, statues mannequins all dressed as clowns those were in the movie they're actual props from the film and when you there's a, a sequence in the film where a child walks into a, a, a teenager walks into a room and he sees all of those things. And I actually particularly one of them I thought was particularly creepy. I recognized as soon as it was on film, I was like, oh, my God, like, that's the one that I saw. That's awesome. <laughs> and apparently they did have props from the movie sprinkled throughout the house. So, Mike, did you enjoy this? What did you think? Of course I did. I yeah. mean, if they don't want it being called a haunt, I, it's a haunt. It's a haunt in the middle of October that's free. Yeah, I like, was talking to awesome. one of the, the managers, Scott, um, who we both know. Um, and he said later that it's like they, they were hoping that people considered an immersive experience, which well, immersive is the buzzword right now. Yeah. So, of course, they want people to consider that. But uh, it, it did, you know, it, Georgie led you through. Georgie interacted with you, which is kind of cool. Uh, he told you a couple of stories about. Uh, you entered one room and, and it's very funny, the walkie talkie that he uses in the movie. Um, Georgie was talking about the walkie talkie with us and uh, dude, that one room you walked in and they had like old uh, issues of Fangoria mm -hmm. and Corazon and like sprinkled around and Georgie was making reference to the, the magazines he and his friends used to read. And it was just so cool. And, and you know, you had a couple of moments where uh, they, rec I don't want to get into specifics for people who have not seen the movie, but there's a sequence involving doors that you have to choose to go through and they recreated that sequence live and you got to, you got to make that decision, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, it's like Warner Brothers really outdid themselves with this. There were some really good jump scares, um, great atmosphere. Uh, you really felt like you were walking through the Nebolt house from the movie. And I thought it was really, really smart of them to do this. They did it for several weeks leading up to the film's opening uh, here in Hollywood. And I just, I hope more studios do stuff like this. Yeah, it was incredible because you're getting people that may not have gone to check it out just because there was this experience. Well, here's the thing. I, I don't know. I got there um, the second time I went through. I got there earlier than the friend who had invited me to go along. So I stood on that corner uh, and it literally was the corner of Hollywood and Vine. And I kept hearing tourists 
like stop because it's uh, obviously there's this dilapidated old house in the middle of Hollywood. So people were stopping going, what is that? Wait, what? Like, what is like, why does that look so weird? Like it just, it was such a non sequitur. It didn't look like anything surrounding it in Hollywood. So the street traffic, everybody wanted to know what it was about. Everybody wanted to stop and get a picture. And it's like I, I just think I am sure they gained so much attention from doing this. Oh, definitely. Because Hollywood obviously is a tourist destination and they literally had foot traffic, I'm sure from around the world, walk by this thing and go, Oh wow, that's weird. What's that? And it led them to the It movie. So nice job. Like I just I am so happy that they did this and I wanna see movies do more of this for big budget stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, so low budget independent people. I don't know how you would tackle something like this, but give the marketing department some more money. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and have them spend it on other stuff. So, yeah. So, I'm really glad that they were experimenting. I'm glad they did everything from VR to live experiences to the Box of Dread tie-in. Like, it has been a fun month playing around with all the it stuff. Agreed. If you are interested in the IT VR experience, it is apparently on YouTube. So if you have access to VR and you can access VR from YouTube, it is up there and searchable. So go, have fun, investigate IT. So then we did something that wasn't creepy. True. We did chapter four of the Speakeasy Society's Kansas collection, which is called The Invitation. Yep. And I'm so glad it happened because I was missing this world because it's been a while since chapter three happened. Um, yeah, it has. Uh, I, I, this may be my favorite chapter so far. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interaction is like incredible. Yeah. Speakeasy Society is a theater group here in the Los Angeles area that they seem to be developing a very unique style that, pulls you into their world in a very intimate way in the fact that you feel like you are part of the story. And they're doing something called the Kansas Collection, which is a serialized version of events that may have taken place in Oz after Dorothy left. So, and they're getting into the political aspects of if the Scarecrow King took over and formed a militia and you have the mythology of a lost princess and what happened to Dorothy Gale, who, you know, kind of wreaked havoc and then left. And, you know, would they try to find her? And all of those, like, sort of almost political adult questions, they're playing those out in chapters that last anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes at a time. They've done four of them so far. And the invitation is one of the lower key ones overall, but... Definitely one of the more intimate, and I found one of the most fascinating. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting that you say that because that's I feel the same way because you don't have any of the major characters that you've you've learned about so far. Yeah, and yeah. even though you know you're not interacting with with Dorothy or the Scarecrow King or you know anyone, it doesn't matter because it's just the interaction is so good, and you're learning so much about that world. Right. We don't want to give too much spoilery stuff because they are going to remount all four chapters uh, in 2018. Leading up to chapter five. Yep. And, um, but, you know, we went back to uh, visit this world and we were immediately greeted by Lyman, who is a character who has 
greeted us at each and every one of the chapters and is a delight to talk with, but not the most reliable of folks. <laughs> <laughs> he usually answers a question with a question. He's one of those people. So, but energetic, fun, goofy. Every time I encounter him, I smile. Yeah, same here. So, and then we uh, met, uh, is it Private Styles? Mm-hmm. Which I haven't seen him since chapter one. Yeah, exactly. And um, he sort of inducted us into chapter one, I guess would be the way to put it. And he sort of did the same thing in this chapter. He, and, and here's the other thing that I love about Speakeasy. This chapter was also designed in a way that if you had not, if you had not encountered any characters, if you hadn't been to any of the chapters, Styles sort of gave you the intro and he checked in with you because he asked you and I was like, hey, they captured Dorothy. Were you there when that happened? And I'm sure, you know, because we both attended chapter three where we witnessed that happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a feeling if people said no, he could give the opportunity of, hey, like this is what happened. Right. Um, and then we met, uh, as Mike just mentioned, we met two new characters. Uh, and it's it's interesting because I wondered how or if they were going to incorporate these characters. And we met, I mainly hung out with TikTok. And you uh, visited someone else. Mm-hmm. That's right, Russell, I did. I was, try- I was trying to throw it to you <laughs> to say his name. Yeah, I met with Jack. We were given an explanation as to why we were there, because apparently things are going well in Oz. And um, this is all information which, by the way, you will get before you enter this chapter um, when it's restaged. The um, The militia is no longer needed, and all of the recruits who have been loyal to the Scarecrow King are being reassigned to community service type roles. And we were going to help out two prisoners, actually, who were doing some menial tasks in preparation for a major event coming up in Oz. That was the setup. So Mike and I walked into a different room and we met two characters, Jack and Tick. And pretty almost immediately, we learned what the task was mm-hmm. that they were doing and which sets up something which will happen, I'm sure, in a future chapter. Which is going to be amazing, I think. I can't, I, I can't wait. <laughs> but they were preparing for something, a social event later in Oz. And we were asked to help them. But what happened is Mike and I got pulled to opposite sides of the room. Uh, Mike, Jack pulled you to one side. Tick pulled me to the other side. And we had private conversations. Mm-hmm. And in those conversations, you know, I, I, I want to hear basically I was sort of asked where my loyalties really rested. And I was asked if uh, sort of like, are you still willing to stand up for what you believe in? Mm -hmm. And it's funny, Mike, when I got pulled aside um, by tick who uh, was played by, I hope I am pronouncing this right. Nikhil Pai. Uh, and, uh, Jack, who you spoke with was played by Michael Bates. And I think both of these actors were just like spot on. They were so, so engaging, but I, I got to admit, I was, as, as Tick was talking to me about loyalties and, you know, what's coming and I kept wanting to hear what, if you were getting the same thing. Right. I don't think we were. So, you know, cause I wanted to know if like, are these guys on the same side? Do these guys see everything the same way? Right. Because they're in the same position. They're both prisoners. So 
yeah, do you uh, can you offer anything about your conversation? Um, I don't think they're the same story. Like that, that's all you're gonna give me? Yeah. Right now, yeah. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> but well, um, the cool thing is, is you know, I think because of the way this is done, we can probably go back once they do chapter four again and get try to get the other person. That will be interesting. I, I would want to do that because, like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And it was one of those situations, Mike, where, um, you know, I got asked a question that I gave him a slightly incorrect answer and he called me on it. He was like, no, that's not the right answer. He's like, and, and he was like, well, it's kind of the right, like, well, and so he didn't trust me, mm-hmm. even though I knew the answer to the question. <laughs> he didn't trust me. And so I had to like, on the spot, I came up, well, okay, well, well, yeah, you're right. That That's not quite, but here's the reason why I didn't give you the correct answer. And I made up an excuse as to why I didn't say the right thing. And he was like, uh, okay, all right, that makes sense. And I kind of like earned his trust again. And I, it's just like for him, for him to have those improv skills and just to put them in play instantly engaged me so much more. Yeah. And the same, I had something very, very similar because it's been a while since. Yeah. It's been a while since, since last chapter. Yeah. And something like that happened to me. And I, the, the, another sort of improv thing happened. I yeah. don't, I don't want to say exactly because we, we promised to keep it a secret. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And it was just like, Oh, this is why I love this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it it was a really great moment. And then I think both of us were given pieces of information that will absolutely affect later chapters. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. They've planted a seed which we can choose what to do with that piece of information if we return to the future chapters, which hell yeah. And the good thing about this is, well, it's not good, but it's good for them. And and I guess good for us, but it's just horrible because... (laughs) I want yes. it now. Oh yeah. Like, I, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, when you watch a TV show and something happens and you have to wait till next week and it's like, or oh, next year. Yeah. These days. But yeah, like this, the way this left off, like there's so many threads that can be tied together now. Yeah. And, and there's something really exciting building mm-hmm. for the future chapters. Yeah. That's what I was left with. So if you would like to learn more information about the Speakeasy Society and their upcoming shows, uh, check them out at speakeasysociety.com. Look them up on Facebook at the Speakeasy Soch, uh, Speakeasy S-O-C on Facebook. On Instagram, the Speakeasy Soch. And on Twitter, the Speakeasy Soch. Now, Mike, after that immersive experience, we had another one. Yeah, that same night, literally. Yes, we like drove right after another. <laughs> drove across town and went into another one. Uh, we went to something. It was an exhibition by the Wosley Institute. Now, this is something which has cropped up on Instagram. They don't have a lot of posts. Um, going into this, didn't know quite exactly who was behind it. We do know that they are veterans of the immersive scene here in Los Angeles. Um, and it was hosted at uh, Zombie Joe's Underground Theater. So it was a space that we were familiar with. And the show was called Betwixt. Yes. Now, Betwixt, uh, you know, there's different variations of the definition of Betwixt, but it basically means between two things. So, and I think that's a very fitting description for the show. Oh, definitely. Because it's an exploration of being between destinations, I think would be the way I put it. 
Yeah. And I loved everything about this show. You know, like, don't smile at me like that. That's weird. Like, <laughs> No, I'm just but, happy that you liked it. <laughs> but everything from the first person that you meet that takes you into the show. He you was know, an energetic little guy, wasn't he? <laughs> there's, I mean, there's so much, and there's so much information like right. that he gives you. And so, and it's almost to the point where there was so much, like, I forget everything. Yeah, he, the, the this opens this show opened with you meeting someone literally walking up and basically pulling you away toward the show mm-hmm. as you were waiting with uh, you know the people standing in line, and um, he he downloads a ton of information about who he is, what the show is, what the exhibition means, what your duty is, uh, and and it's rapid fire, and I found myself actually more confused when he <laughs> left me than than you know before the show so i entered the show in this state of like i don't know what i'm getting into at all which is wonderful mm-hmm. because the whole show continues that weird where am i what does this mean right what is happening yeah and so you know he sets this up and and supposedly you are uh, they called me professor and supposedly you're here to do a little research through the Wesley Institute's exhibition. Before we go into this, this is one of those shows that I feel really needs to be extended. And I really, really hope it does um, because it's, it's that good. We don't know for sure if they are, but I think we should tread carefully with spoilers. Um, I agree. And I know for a fact, because uh, I spoke afterwards um, with some of the people working and I think they are going to try to extend it. Good. Which is a good thing because I think more people should see this show. Um, this is really experimental stuff. If you're looking for concrete, linear story, this is not what you're looking for. Um, the title Betwixt fits the whole show. And Mike, for me, what this whole show was, in almost every sequence, you are encountering someone who is stuck or don't know where they're going. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And sometimes you can affect that and sometimes you can't. I think that's where the emotion comes from is who can you help and who can't you help? And by about midway through the show, I walked into a room and I realized that I was the one who might need help. <laughs> I'm not going to make the joke on that. <laughs> Feel free. Um, because I was becoming confused. This, this, you know, there, there's, you know, life is a journey, not a destination. I mean, there's variations of that quote, you know, all over the literature. It's like, you've heard that a million different ways. And I think that's what this whole show is is like, where are you going? And what will it take to get there? And what do you carry with you? And what do you leave behind? Who do you carry with you? And who do you leave behind? I think those are things that are all explored in a very somewhat surreal context. And I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was in places very, very moving. And a lot of times in shows like this, for me personally, I'll go through and like, okay, like I understand this, but it doesn't make sense to the story. Everything made sense in this story to me because 
you know, it's like you're between two things, you know, betwixt and, and it just, everything flowed so well. And if it's the room that I think you're talking about, it kind of reminded me of a certain scene in Beetlejuice. (laughs) And you know what I thought? What? Brazil. Oh, okay. But it's at that point, that's when everything like, like everything clicked. Oh yeah. For me too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The same thing. So, and and it's really strange too, because for the, not, not counting the first scene you have getting led into it by the guy we were talking about, Mm -hmm. but the first actual scene inside and the last scene, like it was weird because I felt so loved, even though that first scene was almost an interrogation of sorts. Well, yeah, because they don't know if you're an intruder or not. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I, if, I, it was weird. Like it just felt like this, like love from these creatures Hmm. You know, like it's hard to explain. And then the, the ending scene, of course, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful moment, you know, oh, that yeah. you share. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, and also there was, there's um, a scene in between those two scenes we just referred to where I had a really emotional moment where I felt cared for. Right. I know yeah. what scene you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it was, it was, it was a loving, and again, it was, I think it was a very, very wise choice that, the actor chose to react to me because of what I walked into the room with. I obviously reacted to something in the scene and you know, he, when he noticed what I reacted to, he actually, I I reacted to something in the room. He actually picked it up and he actually brought it to me and he actually, we had, and you're not supposed to speak during the show. So this, this was all nonverbal for me, you know, and I, you know, he, he put something in my hand and I held it and I'm like, you know, he <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Would you stop it? <laughs> and, you know, he let me ponder something and, and then you know, it just like, so I felt, I felt very involved and very cared for. And I'm wow. That sound all sounded very obtuse, didn't it? So, but you're right. It, it goes back to what you're saying is I felt very cared for. And I think really just it goes back to if, if life is a journey, who and what do you hold close? Yeah. I, I thought this was a beautiful show. I want to see this extend and I want to see what they do next. Yeah. As soon as this show got out, I, I hit up maybe like five or six people and was like, have you gotten tickets yet? Like, they're like, no. It's like, you need to make sure you follow them to make sure that because you need to see this yeah like this is this is one that kind of like even though it's sold out it's kind of under the radar because it's it's all through instagram and word of mouth right so people need to know and people need to see this because it's it's it is really good yeah if you would like more information on betwixt check them out on instagram at the wolseley institute wolseley is spelled w-o-l-s-e-l-e-y institute Yep. It is spelled that way. <laughs> Why are you staring at me like that? It's weird. <laughs> so, because I want you to take us into the next thing, Mike. Oh, oh the show. God. Man, okay. So, the next show we went to was... <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it's only because I'm thinking of like what we're about to talk about. And it's just like... Oh, oh, I know. It's like, it's one of those things where... 
you just want to be like, God damn it. But you do it so well. So I guess I'll take it kind of thing. We're talking about stars in the night and that's put on by the Stephanie Fury studios. And you may recognize that name from firelight and or fire and light, um, which fire and light happened at fringe and firelight happened a couple times, um, throughout the year, last December. And then this past March, and it was a very, very emotional thing about, uh, relationships. This is no different, which is why I did the whole, Oh, at the beginning of it. I, I got to admit is like, Mike, you know, it's funny having, I consider you a very good friend. So when we go through something and I know that it, we're both going to react to different aspects of it during the first scene, I, I started to feel that of like, I think I might know how Mike is reacting <laughs> to this and I'm reacting too, but I'm reacting from a different place. <laughs> And then sure enough, you kind of like slapped me on the shoulder at one point just to make the point of like how that it was like, yeah, it was stuff you could relate to. Oh, that's not all I did. I I mouthed a certain four letter word <laughs> knowing where this was going. Yep. That was one of those like, really, do we have to deal with this tonight? So, yeah. I, and it was funny because I didn't really get that until the final sequence was when it really hit me. Yeah. Yeah. That final sequence is amazing. Um, but yes. Okay. So Stars in the Night is a series of scenes. And some people I, I have used, like, called it a vignette show. Um, somebody made a reference to that online somewhere. And um, yeah, Mike, how would you describe the connections here? Um I was talking to Noah from No Proscenium, who has an awesome podcast. Go check it out. Um, and he said it the best that I've, that I could never, I, I just need to copy him at mm-hmm. this point. But he said, it's like, yeah, it was like a bunch of short stories ending with a novella. Yeah. And it's like, that's perfect. So right. trademark Noah Nelson, 2017. <laughs> so while there weren't really connections for the story, there was a certain connection of a theme. Throughout. Absolutely. Thematically, this thing is so cohesive and there's the, there are touches that link the sequences. You meet several different characters in a couple of different locations. Uh, one of them you literally follow around the streets of Hollywood and you, you, you hear snippets of him remembering stuff about his life and about a particular woman who affected him heavily. And it seems like every doorway, every building brings up a memory for him. Mm -hmm. And from there, you move on to a couple of other characters. And thematically, I thought it was really nice that one of those characters talks about the ocean. And yet, you know, almost an hour later, we had another character talk about the ocean in a very different aspect one person was talking about what it gave them every day and the other person was referring to what it could possibly represent that they are missing out on. And things like that are the, are the, like the grace notes to this production that when they happen, they happen so subtly that if you're not paying attention, you could miss them, but the connections are there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, following this one, person around and i want to mention the use of space without spoiling 
the show because mm-hmm. there are surprises based on that, um, which I was very surprised at the different uses of spaces and getting from one space to another. Right. Um, and like that made this that much cooler to mm-hmm. me, you know, like because it, f- it felt like you were you're almost time traveling in a way and, you know, witnessing certain events in certain places and it, it had that much more of an impact. Yeah. I, I think you, as you're moving from spot to spot and, and encountering these different characters, um, each of whom seems to be tied to a job or a task or tied to someone else. I, it, it's, I, I think this is one of those things where, the intimacy of what you witness. And as far as space goes, you end up in a situation where you are sharing a very small space with multiple performers. And that final sequence, the novella that Noah um, referred to, the intimacy of that sequence was almost overwhelming. Partially because of the the I think the I'm going to say bravery of that cast because holy crap they did not let anything not show mm-hmm. like the it's like you got every single glance every single look that was well I, I'm I'm actually fumbling here. I completely believed I was watching years of knowledge and a relationship. I think that's it. That's the compliment I can give is I did not believe that these were performers. I didn't believe that these were characters. I believe that I had entered the home of a married couple. And you were a fly on the wall. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, what we witnessed was engaging and harrowing and disturbing and quite quite beautiful at times and i think that's that's the key at least it is for me um if i was watching that on a stage i wouldn't have felt as connected no not at um all. because of where we were and the proximity and the fact that everything was so natural and so fluid like it wasn't a show yeah you were in someone's home as you said a fly on the wall this entire cast, uh, I think, needs to be commended in the fact that I think all of the performances held that sort of, I was about to say rawness, but that is not the right word. There's a nakedness to these performances. There's an uh, authenticity, mm-hmm. which a proscenium show would not lend itself to, as you said. Right. This is special stuff. Like even the, the, the guy checking us in, you know, walking down the streets. Like, yeah. Those were actual stories from his past. It felt like, oh yeah, you know, like it never felt like a tour guide. Like, and here's where it reminds (laughs) me of this. You know, it was like everything was just so natural, right? And the fact that he needed to start his evening with a drink, right? It's like you knew that he was not starting in the greatest of places just by the way he sat down, the way he talked to us when we first met, the way he had to finish his drink before he could deal with us. Like that was a sign of something to come. I just took it as he didn't want to waste money. Better no, finish the drink. It was more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, stars in the night is an experimental piece. I would think because of 
it's like again i said this about the about an earlier piece if you're looking for a linear clear story this is this is not your cup of tea you know what this is this is this is glimpses into people's lives fly in the wall is probably the best phrase um you you step into a space and you encounter and learn something very intimate about someone there are a couple of times um there's a character early on where the idea of what would make you happy in your own life comes up and the struggle that you witness is so touching and it it can't not affect you it can't not make you question where you stand on that subject matter you know and when you get to the very end sequence mike you know i you know my thing about that that sequence where you know one character leads you into the situation and then sort of abandons you and you don't understand why until the very last moments of the show it's you know the idea of where do you risk where do you open up what do you share with people you know and you're you're watching people risk a lot and it makes you wonder how much am i risking and how much am I playing full out? And where am I not playing full out? And for a theater piece to do that, that's pretty high praise. Oh, for definitely. Sometimes I wish, you know, and this, this is going to sound super negative, but I mean it as like the highest compliment. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. But like a show like this, sometimes I wish I didn't have to see. And I mean that in the best way because, you know, all of us have like in our past have had like relationships, you know? And so when you see a show like this, you know, and you flash back, it's just like, oh man, why am I here? You know? And it's like, not only like, why am I here at the show? But like, why am I not with, you know, a certain person trying to like make things better or, you know, someone in your past that you want to apologize to or you know, even current relationships, things like that. It's like, it makes you think of all of that. And so, you know, like sometimes it just becomes too much. And it's like, I wish there was a safe word for emotionals, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like I said, like, this is an amazing show and I'm glad I went, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, I didn't want to cry tonight. <laughs> yeah. There were, there were a couple moments that hurt. And again, I think that's a compliment. There are a couple yeah. moments that were really, painful because I related them. I related to them too closely. Mm -hmm. Same with me. And again, Hey, that's pretty damn high praise. <laughs> it, it really is. You know, it sounds <laughs> negative, but yeah. no, it, it is like for, for the writing and the acting to bring that out of, of people. It's, you know, it's such a compliment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you would like to learn more information about the emotionally draining, gut-wrenching, <laughs> and yet somehow thrilling, harrowing, moving. And make you question all of your relationships, past, present, and future. All your actions, every decision you've made in your entire life. If you're interested in that kind of theater, check out <laughs> sfstheater.com. And you can go to the Facebook page at sfstheater. You can go to Instagram at SFS Theater LA and on Twitter SFS underscore theater. And I should mention that theater in all of these cases is spelled with the T R E ending for the word theater. 
And Russell, you did something else. You visited one of our favorite streets. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a little area uh, on Magnolia in Burbank, California. Some people call it Horror Row. And there is a, there's like horror-related bookstores, costume shops, comic uh, memorabilia shops, movie memorabilia shops. There's, there's all kinds of things uh, in one area. And one of our favorite places is the Bearded Lady Mystic Museum, which has changed locations. They are a store that has, um, they have sort of interesting books and artwork uh, available to purchase. They also have antiques, um, very unique items, um, old medical equipment, old artwork, old posters, just, they have a little bit of everything. They've changed location recently and they, the Bearded Lady Mystic Museum has art shows every now and then. Currently, uh, they are running a show called Slashback Video, and it's also at the same time, there is a art display of old Ben Cooper Halloween costumes, which for those of you who know Ben Cooper Halloween costumes, they're sort of the plastic mask with the rubber band and the like pre-printed apron kind of drape thing that you would buy when you were a kid. And it was always exciting, you know, to go and purchase these these store made costumes. Sometimes when when I was a kid, um, sometimes I would make my own costumes as a kid, and sometimes mom, you know, would we would splurge and I would go get a store bought costume. You know, Ben Cooper, you've seen Ben Cooper costumes, trust me. <laughs> so they're doing an art show, which is a lot of old Ben Cooper costumes in their original packaging. And Mike, like this was a trip down memory lane because they did like there's a Battlestar Galactica costume on display, the Cylon mask, mm -hmm. which is so cool. And they have Star Wars figures and the uh, just numerous different. They have a lot, a lot of Disney character masks. Uh oh. And yeah, a couple of them looking a little mischievous, you know, because it's Halloween costumes, right? So, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was really fun to browse the Ben Cooper and they have artwork inspired by Ben Cooper costumes. They have the Ben Cooper costumes themselves on display. It's just fascinating, really will make you nostalgic for when you were a kid and you love dressing up for Halloween. And the other half of the room is something called Slashback Video, which Ryan Turek, uh, who works with Blumhouse, had a major hand in, in bringing this together. And it is... <laughs> Uh, Mike, it's an 80s video store. Nice. They like recreate two aisles of the horror section out of an 80s video store. And dude, I worked in a video store in the mid 80s. And I remembered almost every single movie and cover. And they have stuff that has never been released on DVD. They have VHS boxes, some beta boxes. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, look it up. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> but they have lots of VHS boxes and some beta boxes of horror films that I guarantee you, Mike, you'll see titles like, wow, I completely forgot that even existed. Totally unique boxes. And they also have artwork on display inspired by the 80 video covers. And some of those are completely unique. Some of them are little sculptures made for, like, to represent VHS boxes themselves. Utterly fascinating. Uh, it's at the Bearded Lady Mystic Museum. You you go into, into the shop, and then you have to pay an additional, like, $10. And, Mike, I don't know if you can... This, this is what they give you. It's like I'm holding up to Mike. They actually give you... Uh, back when video stores were more of a thing, you had membership cards. And they actually give you a membership card. 
That's cool. Yeah, it, it's pretty. It, it's pretty cool. And uh, <laughs> I'm showing Mike on the back. It says, "Be kind, rewind, or else." Which, for those of you who remember the VHS days of video stores, "Be kind, rewind" is a phrase you will recognize. Uh, so that's really, really fun. If you're in the California area, highly recommend. Just the artwork, the the nostalgia factor is just off the charts. It's so much fun. Uh, for more information on Facebook, look up The Mystic Museum. And on Instagram also, you can look up The Mystic Museum. Also, you can look up Bearded Lady Vintage. And that has um, more of the objects and stuff from the Bearded Lady store uh, that you can look at. And it, it, it's just, it's really, really fun. And, and it'll bring back a lot of nostalgia, I think, for uh, collectors and fans of just old creepy stuff. So, Russell... One of the first escape rooms that we really, really got excited about was the basement. Yes. Um, we went probably the first, and within the first couple of weeks it was open. Yeah, I believe um, so. Like years and years ago. Um, and every time they have a new room, we always get excited and we go and it was like, oh my God, they just keep upping the ante and it's so good. And they have another new room mm-hmm. and we just did it and it's called the elevator shaft. Yes. And this actually replaces the boiler room, which I know that was one of your favorite rooms ever, right? Yeah, the boiler room was one of my all-time favorites. And so this is the new Chapter 2, because the boiler room was Chapter 2 in the Edward Tandy saga, um, with the basement being Chapter 1 and the study being Chapter 3. So now we have the elevator shaft. And I mean, with the boiler room being one of your favorites, (laughs) what do you think about this one? Uh, I thought this was wonderful. I I had an absolute blast because it uh, I I it's almost unfair for me to rave about this because it touches a very personal fear and thing that I have ickiness around <laughs> <laughs> and it's um yeah I I just I thought this was a lot of fun the production design is amazing the you know, this, this can fit, this is a little bit larger. The boiler room could only fit four people in. This is a six person room. Um, we did it with five and that, that seems plenty. That seems, yeah. I think four or five would be perfect. Uh, six can, is certainly doable. Um, the, just, there's so many moving parts in this thing. And I, and to some degree, I mean, literally moving. This is one of the most tech heavy, escape rooms I think I've seen ever maybe and I don't mean as a patron you're involved in the tech or you're the tech comes in the solving of the puzzles I mean just what's going on in the environment Mike. oh yeah like they create a world mm-hmm. you step into that elevator shaft and you have a problem in front of you and you have to solve the problem in 45 minutes or less and it gets intense. It's not just one problem, though. It's many <laughs> problems. Yes, there are several problems. But I think that's why I love this so much is the intensity level overall. And plus, like I said, there there's a couple things that hit, hit personal fears that I have. <laughs> what did you think? I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, you know, this this is a this is a room where and the, I don't think this would be a spoiler, but it's so high tech that you will, you don't have things that you will normally see in escape rooms. Like you won't have number locks or you won't have to find, you know, pieces of a puzzle that 
like add up to this code which opens this lock kind of thing no you you know there are key like key locks like stuff like that but as far like but there i think there, there was only one no there was two maybe there was two and but every other solution it's all technology based oh well it, it technology and it's an environmental yeah. environment based yeah which I think, I, I, obviously, that was their intention was they wanted to create an escape room where everything made sense based on the environment you are in. And they completely knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. Because everything, when you get inside the room and you realize where you are and you realize what's going on, all of the the, the puzzles, the tricks, the traps, the, the things that you have to find are inherent to the environment and the storyline. Mm -hmm. It makes logical sense. You're, you're told that somebody let up. Uh, uh, how do you put it? This is all explained literally on the trailer for it that they released. Um, somebody has left you information and you're using that information. So that I think that's uh, uh, one of the high compliments we can give this room is it's all environmentally based. It's not, oh, look, you have to solve a puzzle for some reason. It's yeah. like you have to solve something and there's a reason it's a code or there's a reason it's tricky. And then there's a reason things are hidden from you. But um, but yeah, that and they up the um, they up the tension factor in this one for sure. Mm -hmm. And we can't tell you why because that would ruin everything. Oh yeah, there, there's there are off the top of my head, I can think of three very specific things that happened in this escape room that uh, when it unfolded, I just went like, I can't really. I just had this moment like, what? There's more. <laughs> They're adding more. I just like, ha yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one thing after another. Yeah, it is. It's it's a very, and that's what I meant by heightened tension. Is is they just they keep making things more intense by changing the environment, and that's that's really I think all I want to say about that. But I I thoroughly enjoyed this room. I recommend it to everyone who likes escape rooms. Um, yeah, can't, can't wait to get some of my friends over there and, and, and have them react to this. And as of this recording, um, we had set the record for escaping, which I want to say something about that, Mike. Of course. None of us were trying to set a record. No, not at all. None of us were trying to go fast. None of us were trying to rush through this. The reason we set the record our team in particular, I think is because we all got caught up in the tension that kept heightening. And so we were just moving faster and faster and faster and faster because of the environment that we were well, in. Well, I think it was also the teamwork. Oh, that's true. We, we, we had, we were a really good team because when every, like, you know how everyone has those days where every, everything clicks. Yeah. Like th today was one of those days mm -hmm. like, Oh, here's this. Oh, here's that. Oh, I know what to do here. Right. That kind of thing. And it everything just worked and flowed really well. Right. And and it was one of those days like something didn't click with me, but you knew what to do. Right. And there were, you know, like uh, you know, on our we should shout out to um uh Melissa and Jake and Dawson. So who are the other members of our team. Yep. And each one of us I think had a moment, you know, where we found something or, you know, Jake was the first person to find something that was hidden and, you know, and Melissa found a clue and then Dawson was there at the end. He was the one coordinating. I can't say yeah. what he was coordinating, but, you know, we're like, 
yeah, the teamwork and believe me, teamwork is important in this room. Oh, definitely. So, but I don't, I, it, it's funny because we were not intending to go fast and I was shocked. Well, we never do. Well, like, yeah. We never go into a, in a room being like, we're going to set the record. No, because that's not point. The, there's no point in doing a room that way, in in my humble opinion. Because um, it takes the fun out of the room if you're trying to do that. But I, I just, when we walked out and, and uh, we were told that we had set the record and like substantially beat the other record, I think it's because we were having so much fun and we were so caught up in the intense environment that we were just like, go, 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 go. I had a blast at this thing. Yeah. But again, we want to say to Jeff and to Team Horror Buzz. Yeah. Suck it. <laughs> I was going to wish them luck. Oh, that's that's that that's um, wish that's you your luck. form of wishing. No, them that's luck. wish you luck in Spanish. Oh, OK. Suck it. OK. Yeah. So. All right. Um, yeah. So let's see what they got. Yeah. And they're doing it today, so it's yeah, like, it, it, this might be like already out of date by the time it goes out. I know, Who but that, that's why we're teasing is because they are actually, uh, they're doing it later this afternoon, we know for a fact. Um, yeah, this this was so much fun. If you enjoy escape rooms, uh, the elevator shaft at the basement is a welcome addition to the LA scene for escape rooms. That is for sure. Highly recommend it. Agreed. And for more information on The Basement and all of their rooms, go to thebasementla.com, on Facebook, The Basement Escape Room, on Instagram, The Basement LA, and on Twitter, Basement LA. Uh, so Haunt Season's here. Um, Universal opens, Six Flags opens. Um, Knots is about to open. Yeah. All of these things are opening. And uh, one of the haunts I was looking forward to this year was Creep. Creep tickets just went on sale this past weekend as well. And they're partnering with the Amazon series lore based on the podcast, which is really, really popular. So if you are a fan of lore and are looking forward to the upcoming TV show, this should be something that would definitely speak to you. Oh my God. Can you imagine a haunt based on our podcast? It's just two <laughs> people talking and getting annoyed <laughs> with one another. Making weird jokes to each other. <laughs> Making everything a sexual pun. So... Yeah, that would be your room. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So looking forward to that. And also, uh, Wicked Lit tickets are on sale. We should mention that because that sells out every year. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact, Mike, that Wicked Lit already has nights sold out. Because I had some friends who were going and told me, like, yeah, we wanted to go on this night and it's already sold out. Nice. So uh, definitely check them out. Yeah, and then finally, I uh, just want to give a shout out to Blaine, uh, who is Adams Blaine on Instagram for a very nice Instagram post about the podcast. That was very you. nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I love when surprises like that happen. Yeah, it was just like it's it's always kind of fun when you like. Oh wait, so, like someone other than our close friends actually yeah. listen to this. <laughs> so thank you so much um, for spreading the love and telling your friends about us and stuff. That means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for that. And that's everything for now. Except for one thing. So it's it's a certain day that I just, Mike, I made something and I wanted to share it with you. Fine. So uh, this is going to take a moment, but uh, you know that in my home I have some souvenirs. And you should probably go look at the wheelchair and straight jacket in my room, in my, in my living <laughs> in No, wait, room? wait, wait, not in my room, in my living room. <laughs> in oh my boy. living room. <laughs> in my living room. Okay, so Mike, oh. I just want to wish you a happy birthday. 
Thanks. Oops, and I just blew out two of the candles. So Thanks. I made you a really, really crooked chocolate tombstone <laughs> cake. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I actually, like, two candles went out as a... Yeah, there you go. Relight the candles. So Mike just blew up the candles on his cake. Uh, so I just want to say happy birthday to a really good friend of mine. And uh, there's some presents that were hidden underneath the straitjacket on the wheelchair. So this isn't immersive. We shouldn't be talking about this. Uh, I know. But uh, I just wanted to say happy birthday, friend. Uh, thanks. I really appreciate having you as a friend, et cetera, et cetera. So insert lots of feels here. I have to stop this because Mike is getting annoyed. <laughs> All right. So I think that covers everything, right? Yes. Thanks for listening. Yep. If you want to find out more info on us, go to myhauntlife.com. Um, you can check out the haunt calendar, which is filling up very nicely at myhauntlife.com slash calendar. You can send us a text or a voicemail at 515-HAUNT-LA. You can reach out to Russell and I or email us at russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and two L's or Mike at myhauntlife.com. Thanks again. And we'll probably, if you see us out at haunts this year, come say hi, say hello. And yeah, we are looking forward to everything that's coming because haunts are starting and it's amazing. And it's going to be a really busy season. Yep. Let us know what you guys go and do and love. And uh, we will catch you next time. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. Thanks for listening. See ya. This seems to be slipping down. Do you want me to adjust it up? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs>